Good morning. It's good to see uh, your eyes this morning. I hope that behind your uh, mask, there's a smile going on there. And um, I hope that uh, those of you who are at home, at home online are smiling uh, and everybody in your house can see you smile. Um, I was thinking about the whole idea of being up here and I can get the opportunity to to share the word this morning, and uh, I'm not wearing a mask, which is a great thing. Um, uh, but one thing about me is, is if I was wearing a mask or if I wasn't wearing a mask, it wouldn't matter to you because I don't smile. At least that's what I've been told, that I don't smile. So I'm asking you as a courtesy to me this morning, and I've, I've said this before, if you think I'm trying to be funny, but I don't smile, please laugh. Even if you, you're not sure, laugh, and, and you know, um, I'm probably trying to be funny, but maybe not. And, you know, if you could laugh at a really wrong, serious point, I'll just call you out publicly and rebuke you, um, just so that everybody knows. I'm joking. I'm smiling, right? Okay. So uh, this morning, uh, we're going to just dive right back into uh, the book of Ephesians, which is, um, I have to stay here so that I'm in camera. Um, we're going to uh, be looking at the book of Ephesians, which we've been doing for the past number of months and will continue. We're just more than halfway into it. And uh, I'm actually only going to look at one verse this morning, uh, Ephesians 4.25, and I'll, I'll read that in, in a sec. But um, uh, just to give you a little precursor, because he starts off this verse with therefore, which means, you know, in view of what, what has gone before. We just finished a section where Paul has encouraged unity in the church. Um, kind of some broad thoughts about uh, growing in maturity and, and living in the light rather than the darkness. And uh, Scott last week uh, preached a great sermon about putting on the new self, putting off the old self and putting on the new self, like changing your, your spiritual clothes. So then as we go on, um, we're going to see Paul getting a little bit specific in the rest of chapter 4. Uh, verse 25, he says, Therefore, Kind of because of what I said before, now I'm going to tell you some, some of the specific things that you shouldn't do. So the next few verses, he says stuff like, don't speak falsehood, don't be overcome with anger, don't hold grudges, don't steal, don't gossip, don't slander. Things that may seem pretty obvious to us. And they're things that we shouldn't do because... That's like going back and putting on our old clothes. So I'll read, uh, read uh, verse 25 and make some comments about it. Paul writes, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Other versions say, for we are members of one body, referring to the, the church, uh, Scripture a lot of times talks about Jesus' body is the church. And we, we'll get a little bit more into that as we go on. But since it's uh, such a short verse, I'm going to just break it up into uh, basically two pieces, two or three pieces. So with this first piece, he says, having put away all falsehood. Paul's working under the assumption right at the beginning here, because of what he's already said, um, that this has already happened. Um, we have been, if we're believers, we have been regenerated in our spirit, which was dead or asleep, by the work of the Holy Spirit, which 
wakes us up or, or resurrects us. And in that happening, being regenerated, our hearts should change. Our attitudes should change. And that should give us a new, a new way of seeing life and a desire to live righteously with Jesus. But let's just move on to, to that. That's kind of like the beginning. Next, he says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. And I'm going to uh, stay here for a little while. So I did a fair amount of, um, of work studying this scripture, this part. And I, you know, I read a lot and looked at it and prayed about it. And I found that the most esteemed scholars came to a really a profound, even erudite consensus that if you study and really understand the Greek language, this is what it really means. Don't lie to your friends. That was a, a smile. Duh. I mean, but that's what it says. I mean, every one of the scholars, they're like, it's not really hard. It's, it's kind of right in your face. It's pretty straightforward. Specifically, don't lie to your Christian friends or those in the church. Because as we talked about in the past, this letter was written to us, to the church, and talks a lot about unity in the church and the interaction within the church. So don't lie to your friends in the church. It's good, and hopefully it's pretty basic. Boss here would admit that lying is wrong. Um, I mean, it's even part of the, the Ten Commandments. Oh, and I mean, it's number nine, but it's not number 10, right? So it's got to be pretty important if it's in there. Um, so lying is wrong, right? But why? Why is lying wrong? Um, well, you could respond with, well, it's just wrong because God said it's wrong. Or you could say, well, we're culturally conditioned in the Western world to believe that lying is wrong, but in other places in the world, uh, not so much. It's just wrong because God said it's wrong. Well, that's true. But it partially misses the point. Falsehood or lying, they're interchangeable here, is a sin because it's an affront to who God is. It's an affront to God because all truth is his. All truth is held in God. All truth comes from God. There would be no truth if we didn't have God. And if we believe that God, the God of the Bible, is the creator God, then everything that's true in this world is true because he made it that way. His nature, the nature of God, has no falsehood in it, no lying in it. So his nature would not even allow him to make things in falsehood. I mean, I was just kind of thinking about that a little bit. Uh, when he made the earth and creation, it was perfect, and he said that. If he made it in falsehood, it would be chaos, right? Like, I mean, it's kind of a, a philosophical thing to think, I mean, how could you make something? And it just wouldn't work, and it didn't work because out of his... Nature, he can't make things that are false or things that lie. Now, we know that there is lying, but that wasn't because of God. It's because of our hearts, because of the devil. 
So lying to one another or to God is, is like trying to accept the parts of God that are easy. I mean, not super easy, but the idea of mercy, grace, love, forgiveness. I don't know if you can really understand those without truth, but, but to lie is to reject who God is in totality. You're saying he's like this, but he's not, you know, he's not this. You can't do that. God is who God is. And it's going against his nature. It's dishonoring him. Lying is dishonoring God. And, and hear this. Lying is a sin against him first. It's a sin against him first. Uh, I'll touch back on that in a second. But made me think about um, if, if lying is a sin against God first, Made me think about the story of David and Bathsheba. Um, if you're not familiar with it, David is the king. His people are off to war. And I don't even know why he wasn't there. That's usually what a king did. So maybe that was his first mistake. Um, during the war, he uh, uh, had uh, he committed adultery with uh, Bathsheba, who is the wife of one of his captains. And then one thing led to another, and he ended up murdering Uriah, the guy. And he lied about it and was deceptive about it and kind of, I don't know if it was burning inside of him, but it seemed like, as Scott talked about last week, it seemed like he was callous because he was just kind of living his life. She got pregnant, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. But finally, a prophet of God came to David and said, he just called him out. And this is one of the reasons I love David so much. I mean, I don't love that part of him. But you know what David did? he immediately took it. He repented to God immediately. Fortunately, he mourned for his sin and he repented and he cried out to God and he confessed to God. In Psalm 51, we hear uh, part of his prayer of when, when he uh, was repenting and confessing. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. It's kind of strange because it certainly hurt and destroyed others' lives. It's a sin against them. But from David's perspective, who's known as the man after God's own heart, it was foremost his lying, his deception, and all the other sin. It was foremost the sin against God and his true nature. Sorry for yelling, but I think it's really important to understand this. Now, all sin committed uh, in disobedience to God is, is sin, right? But being specific here, lying bumps up against the very truth of who God is. And it's not just in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament as well. I mean, when Jesus comes on the scene and he's God in human form, you remember what he said? I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. Jesus did not say, I am a truth. Jesus did not say even, I am truth. But he said, I am the truth, the truth. So there's a lot more we could say about this. I mean, we could go weeks, months on, on even, I think, this verse. But uh, we don't have the space to go that way today.
But suffice it to say, at least in this part, is that Scripture states, and you can look all over Scripture. I only picked a few here. Um, all truth is found in God. And God, God's nature of truth is absolute. Okay. So, whether we're talking to our mom, our best friend, God himself, or even our enemies, God does not really give us an out to lie or utter falsehood. Now, if you want to debate that with me, I'm, I'm willing to talk to you about it afterwards, but I don't think so. He does not give us an out. Fortunately, Paul doesn't just say, well, just stop with your falsehood. Just stop lying. But instead, he, he said, there's a solution. Instead of falsehood, do this. Speak the truth. Now, I know in the context that we're reading in, in the verse, um, uh, it's, the context is speaking the truth to other humans. But let me just interject something before we get back to that. If we're going to be talking about speaking to other humans uh, with truth, we need to recognize that God desires our honesty with him. Foremost, I think. They kind of go hand in hand. You can't have one without the other, I, I, I believe. But God's deep desire is that we be in closest relationship with him. Not just to know about God, but to know God. Hopefully, I know more than just things about my wife. I know her, and she knows me. And that's the type of relationship, even deeper, that God wants with all of us. And you cannot be in any sort of relationship if you don't talk and listen with your wife or your best friend or with God, which we call that prayer. Talk and listen. Okay. Let me go back to David for a second. David, again, a, man's after, a man after God's own heart, was the best. He's my favorite person in the Bible because he's imperfect and because he's amazing and he's a man after God's own heart. I, that's what I want to be. Um, but David uh, wrote most of the Psalms. If you're familiar with the Psalms, there's songs and poetry, and he wrote most of them. And if you want to talk about being honest with God, read the Psalms. David is honest with his feelings. Like God, he'll say, oh God, I'm so in love with you. I love you so much. You've done so much for me. And, you know, the next time, I'm like, God, you, have you left me? Where are you? You've forsaken me. Look, where are you? I, I, I can't find you, and, and I'm in the doldrums, and you can't get me out, and, and all this stuff. But he's just so stinking honest with his feelings that if you read the Psalms, you find that, and it's not hard to find. So David, in the Psalms, even in the Psalm that I read before, at the end he says, there's one thing about God that I know, and that's, Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being. I like the other version that says, he desires and delights in truth in the inmost parts. That's what he wants from us, to him, but also maybe more. 
That's what he wants from us directly, if you will, in prayer. So I'm going to move on. Um, that's a kind of a bit about this big sort of meta idea of truth. There's so much more that we could have gone. I had so many notes of going on in all these different directions about the nature of truth, but um, I think that's important to look at that before we can go on with our scripture. So let's, let's boil it down here to our scripture. Ephesians 4.25. Let's, let's look at the end of the verse. So if we can agree that it's an axiom, that it's clear that we should be truthful with God and others, and that it's a sin against him when we're not, it's not hard to make the jump to this context that Paul's writing about uh, here. He says, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another or of one body. Remember, in other, other sermons, um, I think that we've made this, I said this, that Paul wrote this letter, uh, this letter of the Ephesians, and it was directed really towards the church, towards Christians. They were supposed to read it and then interact with it. So the neighbor here, you could go into all but the neighbor here is simply a fellow member of uh, Christ's church. And Paul's, Returning back to his theme that you find throughout the letter that we've talked about, unity in the church. Um, actually, if you look back at the specifics of where I was saying this is going and these different things that you shouldn't do, like don't slander, don't gossip, don't hang on to grudges. Yes, they are all sins against God, but they're also all sins that directly affect and hurt others. So how ought we or how should we be truthful to our friends in the church? Well, first, should I stop lying to my friends? Yes. If you're lying to your friends, stop it. Um, that was sort of a joke, but not really. And since you didn't laugh, that's okay. Also, um, a, a little bit more directly to, to our church, but to, to all churches. If you're a teacher or a small group leader or some other leader in the church, it kind of starts with you. Because we, as leaders, people who are up here or leading the kids or leading the youth or, or leading small groups or whatever you may be doing, you are charged to model and model speaking the truth in your area of ministry. That means, I'm not trying to be too hard about this, but that means that you need to be careful of your handling of the truth of God's word. If you're in your group, and this, if you're in a group and somebody asks you a question and, and you know the truth of what God's word said, you could even almost look it up. Yeah, answer in truth. This is the truth of God's word. Or, you know, sometimes the spirit just speaks to you. You just know. But if somebody asks you a truth or asks you something and you don't know, don't try to make it up because if you don't, aren't sure about your answer and you go ahead with falsehood, that's sinning against God. So don't be so worried if you don't have all the answers um, if you're a leader, but that you'll answer in truth as you can and maybe you say, well, I don't know the answer to that, which is true. And I'll try to, you know, look, look that up and study that this week. It's sort of off topic. 
So again, Paul's not just saying stop this falsehood, but instead, be truthful. But is it possible that Paul's not just saying be truthful of the facts? But maybe he's also saying stop lying about how you're doing. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. All's good. Or if you're super pious, I'm blessed. You know, when you really don't feel that way. That's lying. I mean, I know like in our, our culture, Western culture, that's a way of saying hello. But I mean, those who come from Eastern cultures, I know that I had, had a bunch of friends in college who were brand new to the States and say hello, they'd say hello and you'd say, how are you doing? And to them, that was like, well, you're asking me that. You're gone. I mean, and I had to ex explain how us stupid English speakers don't always say what we mean. But anyway, God wants us to know each other deeply in the church so that we can exemplify his glory and help one another towards it. So as I move in this direction of what I'm going to share towards the end, you might be saying, oh, no, I know where he's going, loving everyone and that stuff. I just don't want to hear about getting all open and vulnerable with others. After all, me and Jesus, we're all good on our own. You may hate to hear this, but that statement is false. That's not the truth. That's a lie. You and Jesus alone are not all good. At least in the sense that the Bible tells you not to be alone. I mean, there's times of aloneness. But we're called to be part. This is what it says. To be the members of one body. We're supposed to be together. All over scripture, God not only gently encourages us, but even commands that believers are not only to be together, but like it says in Hebrews 10, you know, let us consider how we may stir one another to love and good deeds, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. So I, up here, or, or no one can stir you up, can help you love better, can help you find your purpose better, or encourage you. If I don't know you, or you're not around, or, or how you're doing. And I'm not saying that, you know, with the 200, 300 people that come to run, you're going to know everybody deeply. But there should be some. You should not be alone. Now, briefly, I think it's important for me to just touch on uh, why we're all wearing masks. And that that makes it harder to do the Sunday thing. Makes it harder to do meeting up with people. Um, and I know that it's, it's harder, but it's not impossible. And as I go on with this, you'll, you'll see me talk a little bit about, I believe, and I have believed, and though it's getting harder and I'm not sure where it is yet, I believe that this is God's, I don't want to say it's God's, God's letting it happen, right? And I believe that this is an opportunity for us to grow deeper and stronger as a church. Nobody's agreeing with that, huh? Chances are, there are some of you guys out there who have been hurt by others in the church. 
and you're not going to do it again. Um, from the beginning of when I started going to this church, which was not long after it started, that was one of the things that we felt a strong desire to meet people who have left the church, who have been got, gotten hurt or, or burned out or something, that this would be a safe place for those people to come back and find Jesus and find friends. So I've always loved the, that thought. And I get it. I, I get it if you've been hurt. I, I, let me just say, I apologize um, if I or any of my brothers and sisters have done that to you. The thing is, while God is sovereign, so he can do anything he wants in any way he wants, and he will meet us in our personal space, as long as it's not all personal space, he tends to work most through the church, through others, which, again, is imperfect. But he uses the church, and that's why Jesus calls it his body, because you cannot be alone, independent, Big toe, right? You can't just be a big toe, you know, doing your big toe things, walking around or jumping around or hopping around, whatever a big toe would do on its own. You need, as the big toe or as whatever part of the body you fill, whatever, whatever, whether you're a leader or you're doing something or a servant, whatever, you need a full functioning body to find your true purpose made by God. You can't do it on your own. I mean, that's what Paul's saying right here. Be truthful with neighbors who are all members. We're all together in this. Your relationship with Christ is supposed to be personal, but it's not supposed to be alone. Chances are there are others of you who have done the small group thing before, and you just, it just wasn't for you. You got bored or busy or something, and I tried to be nice as I was responding to this, but I can't really help you in any other way other than if that's you, try again. Take a chance again that God will meet you in getting close to someone. So I kind of already showed my cards, but how? How do we get to know somebody and get to open up to somebody? Um, well, you can be intentional about it and just, Somebody that you've seen in the church go up and say, hey, I, could we talk, you know? Um, which is a little bit harder, although both Lynn and I have the, the awesome opportunity to be at that age where we've had uh, younger people come up to say, uh, us and say, you're old, could you help teach us? Yeah, truth. They said that specific statement to Lynn, they said something similar to me. I want to be like honest and truthful. It was, But it was like that, very much. Um, or the easiest way, really, is to join in our small groups. Now, I want to tell you before I kind of end with, you know, what I think we should be looking at, I want to tell you about my small group experience. A lot of you have heard of me talk about my best friend, Chuck. I talk about him almost every time I speak. Because Chuck who is my best friend now, and uh, he was also my mentor. When I got involved, uh, when I got saved between my sophomore and junior year, came into salvation of college, I started going to this Christian group, and he said, hey, you want to come to my small group? And uh, I showed up, not knowing what to expect. 
And within the first, really the first week, he got so open and vulnerable and said some stuff that it actually took my breath away because he was saying stuff that I was struggling with that I just didn't talk you could ever talk about, that you could never do it. It literally, literally took my breath away where I was like, and it changed my life and my trajectory forever. I honestly believe that. I was actually talking to Chuck yesterday, and we were talking about this. In getting involved with my friend Chuck and in his small group, um, I never grew so quickly, so deeply, and so truthfully as I did with the small group. I, if I hadn't been friends with Chuck and others in that small group, I don't know what would have happened. I was a new believer. I hope that I'd still be a follower of Jesus. Maybe I sound like I'm overdoing it, but I really mean it. If I hadn't had that experience, I don't know what would have happened. But it was so life-changing to hear somebody get honest and truthful and vulnerable about struggles they were having. It was amazing. It was incredible. And as I stayed in that small group, I learned to love how to love Jesus. I learned how to love others. I learned how to pray. Honestly, I wouldn't have known how to pray if I didn't meet up in that group. I learned how to worship. I learned how to read, study, and memorize scripture. I still have some of those going on with me. I learned how to have fun again. I learned how to find my purpose in life. I learned how to give and receive a gentle word of truth and correction if I or someone else was way off base. And none of this was a dull or forced thing. I loved doing this. I loved being part of this. I would never miss whatever it was, Thursday night, even if I had an exam the next morning. And I learned how to be open, honest, and truthful, no matter how I felt or what I was going through. <sighs> Got a back paddle. I don't know if I ever had to miss a small group for a final the next day. I just want to be honest. I'm trying to be really honest that I don't go... But I don't remember ever missing my small group. So. And I learned what it meant to have friends. Trusted others to gather around me and pray for me. And pray specifically for my needs. Because we shared them. We shared basically everything. And then for them to pray specifically. And then we could pray specifically for, for a friend. And one of the things that we did... Uh, weekly was we might share about somebody that we're trying to minister to, maybe a cousin or a friend in our class or whatever, somebody who wasn't saved or was going through a real hard time. Like uh, my, my cousin Bill, you know, was just so far from God. And I just, guys, would you pray for Bill? And they would pray for Bill. And you know what the next day would, next week thing, thing they would do next week? How's Bill doing? I've been praying. for And I, I know that God saves souls, but the amount of new salvations we saw, even just brand new from darkness to light, in that time, when we prayed together for people, was incredible. New awakenings and salvations, it was just incredible. So that was my experience with my first fall small group. I know that they don't all go that way, um, but... Along the way, I have uh, joined with 
and been with uh, others in small groups for the past 20 years um, that have deeply impacted me. I remember one many years ago, well, not that many years ago, but when I first got involved with the church, I was in a small group with, well, Becky Joyner. Does anybody know who Becky Joyner is? It's Becky Proct. Yeah, so hey, maybe if you're looking for a mate at a small group would be a, I'm just joking. Did you know that was, I didn't even finish my joke, but I figured you guys would get it. You don't go to a small group to find a mate. That's not really what you do. And Nate wasn't even in our small group. So anyway, the way I see small groups is that uh, they are disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. They are a place of Bible study. They are a place of life sharing. They are a place of prayer. And they are a safe place. I'm encouraging you to get involved in a small group. And if you do, and it's your first time or you just haven't done this, I'm not saying you need to get overly vulnerable right away. That can sometimes be weird, but sometimes not. Um, And I'm not saying everything we have to be open about has to be a sin issue that we're struggling with. Maybe you're having trouble at work or in a relationship or doubt or stuff that you've held on to that you haven't been able to let go. It could be anything. And it makes me take time and some courage. But as you seek together in your small groups, God will bring the results. Listen to God. And be courageous. Be honest. This is what a small group should look like. I believe. That we should be honest. We should be open, be vulnerable, show ourselves, be bold, and carry one another's burdens and grow together as disciples of Jesus. So just so you know where we're going as a church, we're going to be ending our book studies um, at the end of this month. And then we're going to you know, restart in uh, September after a short break of, of small groups. And my encouragement to you, if you are a leader, is to think about this. And think about, as a leader, have I been open? Why is anybody going to be open to me if I haven't been? I met Chuck 25 years ago, but I still talk to him every week. If Chuck or someone else had never opened up to me, I probably wouldn't have opened up too. And what a pity that would have been. As we end, let me challenge you. If you know God is encouraging you to take a chance and share something with someone, to be truthful with someone, well, what happens if you don't? Well, you're not necessarily lying, but you're not being obedient to God, which should be enough in itself to not do that. But also, if you hold it back, what happens to the other person? What are they going to miss if you don't show up? I mean, or if you don't speak up? Maybe that was the time. I mean, God gives us multiple opportunities, but maybe that would have been the time that I had with Chuck. Maybe I would have had to wait months and be in the doldrums and be struggling with sin. I mean, deep sin and, and just stuff if Chuck hadn't spoke up. Maybe... That small thing that you share will be the thing that will change someone's life. 
You might not even think that. Sometimes it's the smallest word. So truth. Truth comes from God. It's what he's about, and it's how we interact with him. And truth. Truth is how we ought to act and interact with each other. And truth can change lives. Let me leave you with two verses. James 5, 6 says, Therefore, confess your sins and other stuff to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You want to be healed spiritually, physically? Confess your sins to one another. In John 8, 31, to those who had believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold on to my teaching, you are really my disciples, my followers. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Amen?